Welcome to the Gateway Research Organization podcast. Research and extension led by farmers for farmers. Come grow with us. Well, good evening, everybody. I'm Jay with Gateway Research Organization, also known as GROW. We're a nonprofit organization based out of Westlock, Alberta. We are running these Wednesday night networking sessions in conjunction with Greener Pastures Ranching every second Wednesday throughout the winter and into the spring. Uh, and this single link that you've got will remain the same. No need to re-register or do anything like that. Steve, do you want to uh, talk a little bit about Greener Pastures Ranching and introduce the guests? Yes, thank you very much, Jay. Uh, appreciate it. Jay is our replacement tonight for Amber. If you think that Amber looks different tonight, that makes sense. Um, Amber is under the weather. She, uh, When we got home from our holiday last week, she's not feeling well. So, uh, yeah, uh, thank you very much to Jay for jumping in and uh, helping us out here tonight. Uh, Greener Pastures, we're just a, a, a local farm here by uh, Edmonton, Alberta. We do a custom grazing operation. So I just think it was so important to continue the networking that we were missing because of COVID. So that's why we started up these Wednesday night networkings and a big thank you to Grow for uh, being a partner in this. So I uh, appreciate that. Yeah, tonight we're gonna talk about fencing. I know that uh, we're still got snow on the ground in most places here in Canada, but we're itching to get the green grass growing. More importantly, we got some fencing to, to start planning, right? If we're gonna do some electric fencing or even perimeter fencing, um, whatever we wanna talk about tonight, that's perfectly all right. We can. Uh, talk about anything we want. But uh, tonight's guest is Sean Anderson. He's had a custom fencing company for many, many years. I'm going to let him uh, tell you the details about that. But we can talk about just about anything you want to. We've got an expert here on the on the line. And I'm pretty excited to have Sean with us. Uh, so Sean, give us a little shout out about your your business and you know, tell us what you what, what you want to do tonight. All right. Thanks, Steve. And uh, thanks for asking me to join the, the evening. It was, it was quite an honor. My wife and I uh, run PWR Custom Fencing. It was started uh, back in 1999. We were farming in a partnership or ranching in a partnership with my dad and uh, my brother and his wife. We just didn't have enough acres to support three families, three entities. So I had been to, uh, when I was at Olds College, attending Olds College, Jim Stone was my shop mechanics prof just an awesome guy and uh, he was talking about his custom fencing operation that he ran in the summer months I thought well if he can do this in two months in the summer then we should be able to make a goal of it for kind of a nine-month year so and we also had backing up a little bit our family had always been I guess I was blessed with a dad that was open to new ideas and so Back in 1967, when dad came home to the farm, he had to renovate our old hip roof barn and they had a sow ferro to finish operation. And he said to grandpa, he was going to move the pigs outside and he had one strand of electric to contain the pigs while they renovated the barn. So that was our first or our family's first introduction to electric fencing. And, um, and then growing up, we always had a little bit of hayfield grazing in the fall that we would run some wire around to graze. But it was in 1994, I guess, when my brother and I came back to farm with my dad, we actually got into more electric fencing just out of necessity. It was, grew up in the Assiniboine Valley in Manitoba. And um, if the fences weren't getting wiped out by floods, they were, the, the ravine runs leading into the valley were getting 
the snow would just wipe out those ravine runs. And so we were spending just a tremendous amount of time rebuilding fences all the time. And we just, so it was necessity or pain that drove us to looking for a better alternative. So we, Will Rex was our Gallagher rep at the time. And Will was just a awesome individual, passionate about electric fencing. And um, he put on these fencing schools. So we attended a couple of them and the light bulb just went on. And uh, so then when I came back from college in, in 96, uh, and we realized we needed another source of revenue, another profit center. I spoke about it with Will, and he was a great encourager. And um, I remember asking him, do you think there's money in this? And he said, well, look how many John Deere tractors are everybody's yard. So he said, I think it'll be fine. And uh, we just took off, and, and the rest is history. So that was in 99, June of 99, we started. And then it was in 2000. And, Five that my wife and I left that ranching partnership and we took the uh, custom fencing business over 100%. And that's what we've been doing full time ever since then. So, so yeah, so we have, we've had a Gallagher dealership since 2006. We are a Robin Forest products dealer for posts. We just took on a CAP solar water system dealership last year. We've been dealing with CAP solar since 2008 for our panels and such. Um, but just with the drought, I just saw an opportunity to branch out a little bit. So I asked Jason if we could make that happen. And he said, yes. And uh, and right now we're also in the works to get a farm simple dealership as well, which is water monitoring. And we're also working with them to try to couple that up to the smart energizers that we sell for texting out info throughout the day as to how your energizer is doing and stuff like that. So. So basically, in a nutshell, that's that's our history. We have we've had as many as seven employees, and uh, I pulled my horns in, and we've just gone with two or three guys. And uh, so we're basically a two or three man crew, and it's what we do for nine, ten months out of the year. So in relation to the topic, I guess was or the the topic that Steve asked me to speak about was electric fencing. So I just wanted to quickly go through the theory of electric fencing and and why and and how to use it and stuff like that and then i love question and answers because that's why you guys are here i'll just say that industry like as in the electric fence industry has not done a super job of communicating how well this product works so i'm really grateful that there was guys like will out there Steve, you've done a great job of trying to promote electric fencing and uh, just how it works with rotational grazing so it's uh, so I'm passionate about this as well. It's uh, uh, I'm getting to the point where my dad bod won't go away in the spring, so I'm going to have to look for a different source of uh, revenue. And teaching is maybe one of them. So, but anyways, so why electric fence? I really like this quote from Warren Buffett, and it's "Price is what you pay, value is what you get." And electric fencing is one of the least expensive fencing methods, but it gives you the greatest return on investment because it's a management tool. A barbed wire fence, you build it, and yeah, to a certain degree, it's it's maybe maintenance-free for the first five to seven years, but it's not a management tool. You can't grab your geared wheel and divide that quarter section with that barbed wire perimeter, but electric fencing, you can. It's extremely reliable if, if you build it properly, and that's my goal is to teach you how to do that. 
it's a reliable, cost-effective way to control your animals. Strand for strand, it is 40 to 55% less expensive than barbed wire. Another way of putting that is if you build a mile of barb, you could build a mile and a half of electric. Or another way of putting it is you can build half of a quarter section perimeter, one mile, or you could build three quarters of that perimeter with electric. So to me, it's just a no-brainer, um, just especially with the, the increases of prices and supply issues. It's still a winning product. There are no maintenance-free fences, but there is least maintenance fences. I have customers that call all the time and say, I quickly can tell whether they're open to the idea. I'll get a response like, well, I'd rather just build it with a four-strand barbed wire and then not have to worry about it anymore. So my response to that is, so in seven to 10 years, when this barbed wire fence that you built starts to deteriorate, and it will, um, what's the first thing you do? And they kind of pause and don't say anything. And I say, well, you're going to add a strand of electric to the inside. So if you're going to do that in the future, why not just do it now and be done? And some of them bite and some of them don't. And that's fine. We just agree to, to disagree in part company. But it's quick and easy because line posts can be spaced for their part. Like we usually generally build our posts so that or our fences so that there's about a 66 foot post spacing versus your 16 and a half foot on a barbed wire. The braces are simpler to build. And again, I'll talk about that later. Overall, you've got a 50% labor savings. The other thing is too, if you can walk and carry it or haul it on a quad, you can build an electric fence. So you don't you don't have to be reliant on a on a tractor or post pounder. So so how does how does electric fence work? It's a psychological barrier that keeps animals in and predators out. So when it's designed and built properly, along with training of the animals, electric fencing is a highly effective management tool. So basically, this is how it works in a nutshell. The electricity or the electric pulse leaves the energizer at about one pulse per second. It leaves the energizer. It goes down the wires where the animal is standing. When the animal touches the wire, the current flows through their body, through the grass that they're standing on, the grass roots. And I'll touch on that a little bit later. So it goes through the grassroots into the mineral content of the soil. And from there, it flows back to your ground rod system. And that ground rod system acts like a net capturing that current flow. And then it sends it back to the energizer. And this all happens in a millisecond. The key there that I want you guys to, to really pick up on is that current flows Oh, I should have said current flows on the outside of the wire, okay? Not internally, but it flows on the outside of the wire. It goes through the animal, into the grass, into the mineral content in the soil. So moisture is just like grease on a bearing. It just speeds the process up, but it's really the mineral content in the soil. So for those of you that are doing maintenance on your electric fences, do not spray underneath the fences with Roundup because it kills the plant, and now you've got an insulation pad underneath your fence. So the best thing to do is to turn that energizer on first thing in the spring. And just, if you've got it designed properly, it'll burn that grass underneath the fence, just like you have sprayed it with Roundup. You'll see this very distinct brown 
dead grass lying underneath your bottom wire and just let it burn all summer long. Just let it burn. Because it's better to do that than in June or July when the grass growth is high. And now you now you're asking your energizer to work like a workhorse to burn that grass off. So, anyways, when that all happens in a millisecond, that shock that the animal experiences causes their muscles to contract quick and quickly and repeatedly until they quit touching. Yeah, Steve's nodding his head. It hurts until they quit touching it. And then this this is where the psychological side comes in. The shock. If it's if everything happened as it should is memorable enough that the animal never forgets. So, quick example uh, with our custom grazing operation, we've got our eighty custom head that come in, and I've had them literally separated by about two hundred feet with a strand of temporary electric fence, just one strand, keeping the the eighty head herd in, and then two hundred feet away, I've got my bulls and steers, and those bulls are just pacing back and forth and poop all over their back end. They could literally just blow that fence down, but because they've been trained, because that shock, when they do get shocked is effective, then they know they can't touch. Some definition or terms. So voltage is a measure of electrical pressure that drives the current flow. Current or amps is just a measure of the flow of electric energy. Stored joules is the potential energy within the energizer. So that's when you think of it like horsepower on a tractor, when you buy that 800 horsepower tractor, stored joules is the 800 horsepower. Um, output joules is the energy that's actually being used on the fence. The voltage is pressure, joules is power. Another way to think of it is your little 16 horsepower lawn tractor. At 2,700 RPM, it's only going to put out 16 horsepower versus 2,700 RPM on your 800 horsepower four-wheel drive, significantly different, right? So that's your, just keep that in mind for your size and your energizers and stuff like that. So when I initially get calls with my customer, some of the questions I want to ask them is, you know, where are we going to start? So what type of animals are you trying to, to manage? Is it domestic? Uh, like cattle, horses, sheep, pigs, or is it predator control? Like for the beehive, you know, the honey guys, the bees and stuff, or for the sheep guys, the goat people, coyotes and wolves. So I need to know those kind of things. Is it a permanent fence temporary? How many acres are you working with? Is there more fencing that you'd like to do in the future? I love blue sky dreaming because let's just forget the budget for a minute and figure out what you want to do ultimately. And then let your budget dictate how we're going to pull that off over the next five to six years or whatever your budget dictates. Um, is there hydro available or plug-in power? And then what is your budget? Because you do have to be somewhat realistic on, on what you're going to, what it's going to cost you. But next thing is uh, what's the best brand to use? And I'm going to say this, any of the New Zealand based companies are winners. Gallagher is a little bit like Nickelback. They're the brand that everybody loves to hate. Don't hate us for that. But anyways, so Gallagher's been around since 1938, a uh, long time. They reinvest 15% of their profits into research and development. And the reason, two reasons why I'm a Gallagher dealer and I'm a big promoter of, of Gallagher is they have the most complete product line. They actually have ground rods to match the energizers they're selling. Data Mars is the parent company of Speedrite, Patriot, and Staffix. 
So Speedwright's been around since 1942. Patriot's been around since 1952. And Staffix has been around since 1962. So the bottom line is find a dealer that understands electric fencing. And hopefully by the end of the night, you guys will understand what you need to. And if your dealer isn't going to give you that kind of support, move on and try to find somebody else that will. But as long as you stick with the New Zealand-based companies, you will not go wrong. Both good product lines and they have some pretty neat stuff. So yeah, energizer selection. If you can, always go with plug-in power. That's the first choice. It's the most reliable in every situation except for power outages, but that can be backed up with a battery backup. Like some of the energizers actually have a, a trickle charger that you can plug into them and you're charging your deep cycle RV battery uh, so that if the power goes out, no problem. But remember, it's a psychological fence. So if you built it properly, I shut my fence off and I literally forgot about it for a week and I come back and there was no issues. So that's it's not a problem. Gallagher's got an I-series energizer out. These are their intelligent series or whatever. They can be coupled with fence monitors that will send out this daily Wi-Fi text report. A little bit of a lag time on that product just because of our, our Wi-Fi, our data in Canada here. But again, I was speaking earlier about the farm solutions. We're working with them to try to come up with a data feed system that'll send a signal to your phone. So excited about that. And then they've also got alarms that will, both both lines, product lines will have an alarm that works off their energizer and you can set parameters on that. Another thing with plug-in energizer, keep this in mind. Uh, if you're jotting things down, you can run power a long ways from your main yard. Um, an eight joule solar package. So the energizer plus the panels, for the cost of that, you can run 3,900 feet before with a one strand aluminum wire. So aluminum wire is equivalent, one strand of aluminum wire is equivalent to three strands of high tensile. So that's my main feed wire. So you can run 3,900 feet with an eight joule solar package. For a 28 joule solar package, you can run 4,800 feet with it. So if the pasture that you're trying to fence is a half a mile or almost a mile from your yard, no problem. There's ways of doing it that are cheaper than going to solar. So solar is a second choice. It's not that it's an inferior product. It's a it's a great product. And in those situations where we, we've got no other choice, it's the best way to go. Solar packages do add to the cost of the power. Uh, that 8 joule is going to be about 900 bucks. And the 28 joule is going to be about 1100 So little note for solar. Uh, with your solar panels, figure out what wattage you need, and then always buy bigger. And that's the same thing with your with your energizers too. When you're sizing that energizer, figure out what you need and then always go larger if you can. Battery energizers, it's a kind of a choice, a last resort. It's They're really meant for portable situations. If you're heading off to the rodeo and you want to keep your horse in for that three days while you're there, that's a great option or around your garden, somewhere where you can monitor it daily, that, that's okay. Sizing the energizer, always choose and compare by stored joules. I said earlier, that's your potential, your, your maximum potential power of the energizer. So when you're comparing brands, compare by stored joules. Size the energizer by the recommended acres, not the miles of fence. The, the, the miles of fencing is a, 
spinning contest between manufacturers. It's in a lot of ways it's irrelevant because they're not taking into account all the factors of of drawing your fence and how you're building your fence, whether you're using one strand or three. So, and then another thing to remember for those of you that are winter grazing corn or stuff like that, make sure that your energizer is at least a 10 joule energizer minimum. And you got to have the appropriate ground rods with that too. So grounding, this is the most important component of an electric fence. Without a grounding system, you have nothing. And it's often the most overlooked. And, and again, I'm going to blame that on industry. If your dealer or your store that you're buying from, uh, you walk in and you determine that you want to spend $1,500 on an energizer. And if the next words out of your dealer or your store's mouth isn't, um, do you need some ground rods with that? You find a different store. You need that good support. So anyways, ground rods... An inadequate ground system devalues and limits the power of the entire fencing system. So it's kind of like buying this 800 horsepower four-wheel drive tractor and telling the dealers not to put tires on it. You've got all this power, but you're going nowhere. You need that component. So here's something you guys can take a note on. Grab your pen here. This is a, a hint on the ground rods. So it's a four, three, two, one. So you need four meters of spacing between your ground rods, which is 13 feet for our American friends. You need three ground rods minimum, or pardon me, I'm going to say ground stakes because ground stakes, that's what Gallagher sells. And when you look at them from the end profile, they're shaped like the, the King Ranch brand. They're a W and they have three times the surface area of a 7 8 utility ground rod. And that's key because earlier I said the current flows on the surface of the wire. It also flows on the surface of the ground rod. So four meters apart, three ground stakes minimum. They need to be at least two meters long or six and a half feet. Uh, and you need one continuous wire joining all the ground rods from the furthest one away all the way back to the energizer. As a rule of thumb, use minimum three ground stakes, or you take your, your store joules of your energizer divided by five. Gallagher used to say three, and I, I'm not quite sure when that changed, but so in my country, I'm, I've got a lot of sandy land, so I'm still working on the factor of three, uh, and then I know I'm covered. So for example, you've got a 28 joule energizer, or a 25 joule for easy math, you're going to need five ground rods. That's what you need to, to cover the horsepower of that, that energizer. Here's some do's and don'ts. Use galvanized ground stakes all the time. Never copper, because when you mix copper with your galvanized wire, you get what's called galvanic corrosion, and then you now are limiting the flow of current through that, that grounding system. Please don't use rebar. That is not a tool in our toolbox. Another alternative for the ground stakes, they're about, so Gallagher's ground stakes are about 40 bucks a piece. Another really good option, if, if you've got access, it, access to it, is, is two and three-eighths galvanized pipe like they use in chain link fencing. You can, you can do that. You're going to have to figure out a way to clamp your wire, securely clamp your wire to that pipe. And then when you're done, because you've probably drilled a hole through that pipe, you need to spray it with 
galvanic or galvanized paint to um, to, to cover it up so it won't rust. Locate your ground stake system where the soil tends to stay moist. Again, moisture isn't the key factor. It's the mineral content, but moisture does uh, aid in the process. So I prefer to install mine under the first section of fence, right underneath the wire, running parallel right underneath the wire. And that way you're not hitting them with the lawnmower. Or they're just, they're out of the way. You're pushing snow. It's not a problem. So the first section of fence closest to where you're installing your your energizer, just run them right underneath the fence right there. Do not install them under the eaves of the building. And the reason for that is when it rains, the water comes off the roof and leaches the mineral content of the soil underneath that eave zone. So in time, your ground system, you're losing your mineral content in your soil. So therefore it's not working. Keep your ground stake system at least 33 feet, 10 meters away from any other grounding system. So if you've got a hydro drop pole in your yard, make sure you're at least 33 feet away from that. Any galvanized water hydrants, you got to stay 33 feet away from that. Do not tie into your existing hydro utility ground rod. First off, there's only one in your yard, maybe two. So it's not adequate enough. Secondly, it's copper. So it's you're going to get that galvanic corrosion. And the other reason, the big reason is you're going to have backfeed into your residential or your farmyard electrical system. So if there's a short on your fence and you've got your AM radio on 540, you're going to hear this tick, tick, tick. So it's a great way. If, if you're trying to find a fault in your fence, just tune your vehicle into a 540 low frequency AM station and just start driving down the fence line. And when it's ticking the loudest, that's where your problem is. Never, 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 ever use water hydrants or galvanized water well cribbing as your ground because you'll get tingle voltage backfeeding into your water system. Your animals will go off water and now you've got a problem because again, psychological, the last time they drank water, they got shock and it's going to take them a while to get back onto water. So do not use water hydrants or galvanized water cribbing. With your ground system, use one high conductive cable joining them all, the the the, uh, the double-coated undergate cable. I like to use the aluminum double-coated undergate cable. And the reason for that is uh, if you're driving to town on a two-lane highway, why would you come home on a dirt road? So you're sending all this power out down the fence on a good conductor. But if if you're asking that, that current to flow back into your ground rod system and then it's just going through on just a, a bare galvanized wire back to your energizer it's not going to stop it but it will impede it so give it give it as uh, big an advantage as you can so building a permanent fence braces that's the foundation of any good fence you have to have good bracing um, i'll just leave that there if you guys have questions i can talk about styles and design and stuff like that the next thing is wire I explained earlier that the current flows on the surface of the wire. Industry has chosen 12 and a half gauge high tensile class three galvanized wire. Be like they could go with a four gauge wire, but we all struggle with 12 and a half gauge as it is to work with it. So it's kind of the optimum. 17 gauge is too small. It's not going to conduct as much current. So 12 and a half gauge is the winner. So just make sure that it's a class three galvanized coating. Beckert or Bakert. Uh, or Tree Island are basically your two 
really good brands. There's only about four wire manufacturers left in North America, probably globally. I, I just got onto Beckert last year. It's it's a great wire, and you get four thousand feet for per roll versus thirty seven fifty with three islands. You get another two hundred and fifty feet, and at the moment this year, wires going to be selling for about 205 to $215 a roll. So it's expensive. Um, so you might as well go for the Becker brand and get that extra 250 feet. Another thing is when you're buying from your store or your dealer, if it's sitting outside, just go to another store. Just, I don't know why they don't store it inside. If you see white rust or brown rust on it, walk away. If the wooden spools are deteriorated, don't buy it. Again, $215 a roll. Seven years ago, I wish I had bought like, I don't know, 55 carloads of the stuff because it was 75 bucks a roll and we're now here. So anyways, it's still like wire is by far not the most expensive part of the process by a long shot, but you're going to buy it. Just make sure it's the good stuff. Um, unspool it vertically. Don't do it horizontally because your roll will blow up on you. So I just have a simple three-strand wire unroller that I use. It's all vertical. I don't have anything. I used to put like ice cream pail lids underneath it to help it spin, but I've stopped doing that. It just, it kind of, that little bit of rust just acts as a brake, so it won't spin away on you. I use vine lines. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but they're a connector. Your power utility companies use them, but you use two vine lines to join the wire because you want a good connection on the joint. If you don't have vine lines, use a square knot, pull it up tight, and then wrap it four to six times on the other side and break that wrap off. And now you've got a good connection of for current flow. So how many strands do you need? One keeps the animals in, two keeps your neighbors happy, and three lets you sleep at night. When you're thinking about Current flow and the number of strands, you got to think of pumping water. Would you pump water through a half inch garden hose two miles? No, you wouldn't. You would get like a two inch line or an inch and a half line, and then you would scale down to one inch and three quarter, et cetera, et cetera. So on a permanent perimeter fence, I always go with three strands, and this is why. So one strand of 12 and a half gauge wire has 56 ohms of resistance per mile. When you join those three wires at the start and end, or start and stop it of each section, you join them together with a joint clamp. Now you take that 56 ohms and you divide it by three, so you're down to 18.66 ohms. Now you've got a superconductor. That's why I prefer three strands on the perimeter. I know some people go with two, if you're going that route, wire spacing is absolutely critical. Do not exceed 12 inches of wire spacing because the part of the animal that makes a decision, if, if the wire hits them here and here, the part of the body that makes the decision is already on the other side of the fence, that's where they're going. They're going outside. If it hits them here and here, they're backing up. They're pulling away. So you want wire spacing is critical. And also just keep in mind that that two strand isn't going to conduct as well as the three strand will. So I use three strands on the perimeter, alleyways or winter grazing paddocks. Um, I use one to two strands. 
the, the winter grazing, I like the two strands because you can convert one of those strands to a ground circuit. You just literally pound in a ground rod right there on that section of fence and just disconnect the two wires and just one of the wire now becomes a ground rod or a ground circuit. And then you, when you're, if you're corn grazing corn or whatever, you can run out your two geared reels. You've got a hot and ground system for the winter months when you got snowpack and insulation and stuff like that. So when you're working with the wire, leave long pig, like when you're going through your, your strain insulators and you're wrapping the wire, leave a long pigtail so that you can join those three wires in the middle with just one joint clamp. You're trying to save money, do it smart, um, join them and always use joint clamps. Make sure you've got a good solid connection at the start and end of each section. And then I tighten the one, each wire with uh, just a permanent wheel in the middle. Don't go crazy. Sag is good. We go from plus 40 to minus 40. So a, a way of gauging how much tension do I need? In the middle of a 66 foot post spacing, you should be able to step on the top wire push it all the way to the ground. And when you step off of it, it should bounce back to kind of its original tension. When you're running wire, run as far as you can without cutting or joining that wire. So what I mean by that is on a quarter section, I got to back up here a little bit. Current balancing when you're designing is absolutely critical. So if your energizer is in, let's say the Northwest corner of your quarter section, you're going to run power to the southeast corner of that quarter section and stop. So you're running around the north side, down the east side, and you stop. You're gonna run down the west side, south side, stop. So the two corners where you're just going around, just run the wire around in an insulator. Don't, don't put corner strain insulators on and tie off and joint clamp. That's another source of resistance. So just run it around the corner and carry on. Okay, so this is the only place, uh, maybe put your earplugs in, Steve. This is the only place I'm going to rant tonight. That is never electrify barbed wire. And this is why. <laughs> okay. With the, with the new technology that we have, these energizers, if you build your fence properly, these energizers are powerful, super powerful. If I've had it happen, I, I used to, uh, I custom, I wintered, custom wintered, a band of PMU mares here at my place one winter. And there was a Philly colt that got through the electric gate. I had an, I had an electric offset wire on my barbed wire fence. So I'd done everything properly. Uh, this Philly colt got through the electric gate, knew it didn't want to go back through the gate, tried going back through the barbed wire, contacted the, the electric offset wire. And because it couldn't get away, it went into shock. It didn't die from the shock of the energizer because it's all CSA approved, but the animal went into shock and died. I've seen pictures of like 400 pound boars in Africa that get caught underneath uh, an electric fence and they're dead. I've got a three-year-old son. I would just, I'd be sick if he got caught and tangled up in that. So, so just don't do it. It's not a great conductor either. So there, we're going to leave that out. I sound like my dad. I'm going to move on. Gates. My personal preference is the less gates, the better. And the reason for it is it's, a, it's another point of resistance. You're stopping that current flow. You're joint clamping on other side. It adds to the cost. But if you need them, you need them. So, so do it properly. Always use undergate cable. 
Don't try carrying that current through that tape. It's not meant to carry that current load. If you've got a short further down the fence, it's going to burn that gate tape out and you're done. You've got bungee gates you can do for single strand or two. You can do continuous a continuous loop of wire um, is what I do. So yeah, the other thing is with the new uh, energizers that have these remotes, a really cool trick that we've been doing is if you do have a gate and you've got hunters and quarters and stuff like that, just put your gate handle through the gate anchor. Use gate anchors, good connection, right? So you put the handle through the gate anchor and then just put a joint clamp on the bottom of that. And now your gate is locked because you have the remote. So you drive up in your truck, your quad, you shut the fence off, you take the joint clamp off that handle, open the gate, go through. But your hunters and trespassers can't do it because the power is on. They have no way of shutting it off. So just a little tip there. So last thing here, just tips, tricks, and advice. I talked about current balancing. That is huge. I think Matt's on tonight, Dr. Matt, my uh, good buddy. He contacted me a while back and wanted me to help him with this. And, and it, it, he picked up on it super fast. Like I just kind of, I took his aerial photos and kind of showed him how I would balance the current flow out to get it out to his furthest point. And he just ran with it. And it's made such a huge difference in what he's doing. So it's, it's, it's a way because when you're sizing your energizer, when you're fencing a quarter section, if you current balance, you're not fencing two miles, you're fencing one mile either direction. So it takes the load off of your energizer, if that makes sense. So tips here, uh, plan ahead three to five years. If you, can, if you can be planning, just budget for a bit of fencing every year, just you're going to have 10, 15, $20,000 that you're going to spend on fencing every year. Because if you could plan ahead, here's a little uh, free jingle for you guys. All Gallagher dealers have access to a spring booking program that usually rolls around in December or January annually. And they offer the, the, the discount from Gallagher is 10% at current year prices. So last December, you could have bought 2022 product at 10% off at 2021 prices. So it's a savings. It's good. Look for dealers or stores that have been sitting on stock for a while. If it's got dust on it, throw them a deal. Ask them, it, it's costing them 6% every year they hang on to that product. So just offer them a, a price out. You'd be surprised what you can get. And look for end of season blowouts uh, on product. Another thing is buy utility grade fence posts because when you're electric fencing, I don't do this because my customers are expensive, uh, expecting a professional product. So I always buy new posts or, well, these are new posts too, but I always buy top grade posts. But for an individual, buy a utility grade post. It, what a utility grade bundle is, is it'll be a bundle of two inch all the way to five inch, six foot posts. You're going to use them somewhere. It really doesn't matter. Uh, and you're going to get a good discount on that. Look for used posts. I, I bring home all my used posts. I bundle them up. I can sell them 15 times over in about 10 minutes online. They're just gone. I bought a B train load of posts here about four years ago. I got desperate about two months later and I was trying to sell them for about six cents above cost and I didn't have one bite. <laughs> so uh, use posts, just take a look. Like when you're looking online, that guy that's got them just thrown on the ground in a bundle, go and 
give them 50 bucks, hundred bucks, whatever. And you got yourself a deal. So yeah, just, just make sure they're quality use posts. There's no physical pressure on the fence because of the electricity. Right. So, and then as far as cross fencing goes, I love Steve's advice here. Set up your tent fence. If you're putting it in the exact same spot three years later, then convert it to a permanent fence. But I, I fenced a half section last fall. I set up all my tent fences on a Friday, Saturday night. I'm done in about an hour and I'm good on that entire half section until we're done grazing 21 days later or whatever it is. So, and I guess the last thing is at the end of the day, it costs what it costs. So don't cut corners that compromise the quality of your fence or the key principles of electric fencing, like grounding, don't short out there. And then price is what you pay, value is what you get. So I'm, I'm good for questions. Thank you very much. That was excellent. Yeah, no, we'll open it up for questions here right away. I'm not going to go into too much detail here. Um, I've been doing electric fence and, you know, perimeter fences for 23 years or something. And yeah, Sean, I am guilty. I cut a lot of corners, but when you cut corners, you got to be careful, you know, what environment you're in, right? Some environments can't cut corners as you know, you might be able to cut one corner, but not the other one. So I, I think I added up a couple of years ago that I had 72 miles of fence to check every year. Uh, half of that being electric fence, cross fences. So I've done a lot of fencing. I'm kind of the redneck fencer. Uh, Sean's going to do everything right. I'm going to do half of it right. And I'm going to cut some corners. So um, if you guys have any questions, I mean, I know we've got quite a few on the, on the chat box here right now. So I think we're just going to kick into that. I got a whole bunch of notes here. I made from your uh, talk there, Sean, I'm learning a lot already. So I'm uh, happy to have you here. So uh, Jay, you want to uh, kick off the first question? You betcha. We'll get the first question from uh, Barbara Phillips, who was asking about uh, using electric fence, I believe, for uh, more of a uh, uh, horticulture type purposes. Barbara, are you with us? So my question is, will electric fence keep deer out of a kind of a garden kind of situation? And how would you how would you set it up? So if you go online, Barbara, and Google 3D electric fence. So basically what it is, is you'll have three or four strands of hot wire. All your wires are hot. That's something I should have said earlier in my presentation. I'm a fan of all hot wires uh, because you've got a good ground system. So anyways, this 3D fence, the main fence will be three or four strands spaced about 18, 42 inches and 60 inches high. And then on the outside of that fence at about 34 inches off the ground, three feet away from the fence. I just use stepping posts, Barbara, and I just drill them into the to every post about every because we put our posts every 66 feet. And I just use it's called a turbo braid wire. So it's it's a colored wire, uh, a high quality, good conductive wire. It's blue and white. So what it is is the the deer come up and they hit that exterior one strand fence first then the inner wires because deer have poor vision so they can't see exactly how many wires there are on the inside fence nor how high they are it's a great question we just built a fence like this two years ago our first fence ever for a market garden just in my hometown here and they're having great success with it so and it's okay in the fall to shut the power off and let the deer 
if they do happen to make it to the inside of the fence, unless you've got some trees there that you want to protect or whatever. So if you, if you've got like, if you're not worried about your produce or whatever during the winter months, or you don't have anything, just shut the fence off and you can let the deer because they get used to it. And then they, they, they're testing it. Right. Whereas if you let them jump into there during the winter and then in the spring, you turn it back on again, it's like, Oh, Holy smokes. The, the power's back on. we got to respect this fence. Right. So yeah, that, it's a great, that's a really great option. If you've got trees or something that you're trying to protect, then I would recommend going with, uh, you can Google deer fence. Canada is a company that sells it. It's like a, a tightly woven plastic snow fence. You can still go with electric, but it, it just gets a little a little more complicated. If you want to write down my email address, I'll just give it to you right now. It's Sean, so S-H-A-U-N period P-W-R as in power, mm-hmm. C-F as in custom fencing, LTD as in limited at gmail.com. Just email me and I'll be more than willing to help you through that, Barbara. Thank you. Yeah, Barbara, uh, the 3D fencing, I've heard lots of good things about it. I mean, your alternative is, you know, look at a deer farm or an elk farm, right? They have tall page wire fences. So what's cheaper? What's less maintenance for you? Do you put in a a 3D fence um, with electricity and the power? Or if it's a small garden, maybe just a page wire fence that's really tall might be cheaper. So it depends on your situation, depends how big your garden is. You got to look at the numbers behind it too. But yeah, 3D fencing has been fantastic. Uh, A lot of people will protect their bale yards. You know, if you've got a a heavy elk population. Yeah, (laughs) been there, done that. You've got that. So, (laughs) I mean, that's that's kind of the situation you're in. It, It depends on your environment, right? Is it, you know, five or six deer going in it or 150 deer jumping into it or you've got elk or whatever. So... Uh, yeah, page wire versus electric um, depends on the size. Okay, go ahead, Jay. You got another one? Yeah. Well, we uh, we've got Shorty commenting on uh, on deer fencing. So, Shorty, would you mind terribly jumping in and providing your comments now rather than uh, down the road? We've used that. It's a black plastic woven uh, product. You can actually call up uh, Fish and Wildlife, and if you're having a, a deer problem, they'll give you some. So that's something that is also an option. But we used it to protect our grain bags years ago, and yeah, it's not nice to work with. So if you can find another option, I'd go that route. But if you're putting it up against, say, some bales, works great. But if you have to build like an actual fence out of it, not so much. Yeah. Great. Thanks, uh, Shorty. Let's move on to uh, Colin, who's got some questions, I believe, with regards to transferring power from fence to fence. Uh, Colin, are you with us? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I was just curious. Uh, we keep sheep and have a five-wire perimeter fence. And um, I guess about transferring power from the energizer to that five-wire fence, is it okay to use a single wire or do, do you use power? lose power uh so what i'm going to recommend there is go with the aluminum the 12 and a half gauge aluminum coated wire the, it's called highly or high conductive current or cable sorry actually again i was talking about that that wire it the aluminum is equivalent so one strand of aluminum is equivalent to three strands of high tensile in as far as conductivity goes so 
on a short distance, if you're going from your energizer to the first section of fence and say that's 100 feet, you only need one strand of this. You don't have to worry about, oh, I've got five strands, so now I've got to go with two strands of high conductive. You're okay. Just go with one strand of high conductive and then run that out to your fence, to the first section of fence, and just make sure that all five wires are joined together with a joint clamp with that high conductive cable in there and make sure it's clamped tight. Go to the end of the first section, joint clamp all five of those wires together at the end there. Are you doing that currently? Like are all five wires joined together as one? Uh, yeah, they're all joined with galvanized. I don't know. It's kind of all over the place, I guess. I've got existing fences that were here that we've kind of tied into and uh, it's pretty all over the place. Sometimes I've, I'm powering fences with like a, a aircraft cable gate, five wire to five wire, but with like a single aircraft cable. I'm thinking it's not working great. <laughs> no, no. I'm glad you brought up aircraft cable. So one sixteenth aircraft cable per mile has 10,000 ohms of resistance. It is the second worst conductor of wire of current flow on the market. <laughs> and it also, again, Matt and I were talking about this the other day. It's terrible. Like it looks like deharning wire <laughs> that we used to use to deharn cattle. And it works that way. So yeah, terrible conductor. Backing up here a little bit. We used to put up square bales, hated when the nodder didn't work. I couldn't understand it. I couldn't follow it. So in your situation, don't panic. Start at the energizer, run that, that aluminum conductive cable out to your first section of fence. Make sure that all five wires are joined together with joint clamp. Walk down that first section of fence. Make sure there's nothing touching it, et cetera, et cetera. Join it with a joint clamp at that next one at the end of that section. And then if you've got a gate right there at the end of that first section, now go with undergate cable underneath that gate, put it in pipe, um, like half inch black plastic pipe, bury it, you know, 18 to 24 inches. If it's a yard that you're going through in the, in the spring, go three feet deep, get it down deep. But, and then you just repeat, 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 right? So you've got, you've got five strands. You've got a superconductor there. Just, just, you just, it sounds like you just got to clean it up a little bit, but don't panic. Just, um, am I actually going to, okay. Another, if you guys go to Gallagher, Steve, if you want to type this in, it's just electric. If you go to Gallagher.ca and type in, in the search bar, electric fencing 101, and that is a PDF manual. And it's just an awesome little resource guide. It's just great. So Electric Fencing 101. Yeah, I would agree with Sean there 100%. I'm not a big fan of the air, uh, aircraft cable. I used it one year and the number of times I drove through it because I couldn't see it. Uh -huh. <laughs> that was my big problem. And if you ever try and drag it around, right? If you were to move it around and you drag it around a wooden fence post, it'll eventually cut the fence post off because it does work very well for dehorning. So yeah, I'm not a big fan of, uh, of that stuff either. So yeah, no, great. Uh, I'm learning a lot here, Sean. I appreciate it. Barbara, that 3D fence, a rough per lineal foot price is going to be about $2 a lineal foot for that 3D electric fence compared to if you go with a high tensile, eight foot high, page what looks like page wire they call it field fence now 
that's going to be closer to 12 to $15 a lineal foot. So wow. significant, significantly different in price, but, but sometimes that's, sometimes the, the $15 a lineal foot is the way to go. It just depends on your situation. I'd love to have you email me and then we can work through it together if you'd like. Nice. Yeah, it might, might come down to the labor involved in managing it later. Right. I mean, if if somebody wants it simple and done, boom, you spend more money at the beginning and you don't have to worry about it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Bonnie, are you ready to go? Yes. Bonnie is actually Dwayne and Bonnie. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, question, uh, That's great. Question about uh, crimp sleeves um, as far as how good of a connection for conducting. Well, uh, what would you say? So you're talking about the uh, the the crimp sleeves that you slide the two 12 and a half gauge wires to and you take the pliers and crimp them tight. Yeah. There nothing wrong with that. Uh, what I do I don't use I use the vine lines myself, but that's certainly a great option. And then when you're done, just wrap three or four times, six times on either side of that crimp. Because it's electricity flows on the surface. This, this is the surface. So you're making sure that it flows on the surface all the way through. So yeah, it's a great, nothing wrong with it. Okay. Those vine lines, uh, can you use them for a butt connection if your wire breaks? Uh, like if the wire breaks and you want to rejoin it? Yeah. Can you use those vine lines that you're mentioning? Can you use those for that kind of connection? Yes. That's what I use them for. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You got to be careful um, in the sense that, so we were asked to to renovate a quarter section that had to have three strands of wire there for about 20 years. At the end of the day, by the time I vine lined all the, the knots that dad and son had tied over the years, they'd hit it with the cultivator, et cetera, et cetera. By the time I was done, we could have rolled up the wire and, and roll out new. And the galvanized coating does kind of deteriorate over time. So in hindsight, that probably is what we should have done. But if you got one break or two breaks, yeah, the vine line, a square eight knot, your butt connector, it doesn't really matter what it is as long as it's a tight connection. A connection like this is no good, if that makes sense. It's got to be tight. Yeah. Good. Thank you. I'm glad yeah, you got your partner in crime there with you. I, I'd be lost without my wife. <laughs> uh, I, I'd agree with that. I don't use uh, connectors of any kind. I just use the wire, but um, that figure eight or whatever, Sean, what did you call it there? It's a square knot, basically. Square and, knot. And I call it the figure eight connection to yeah. make sure you have multiple spots where it joins. And then I also wrap the wire again. And I'm, yeah. you know, I'm kind of particular. You wrap it at least six times, right? Yeah. <laughs> to make yeah. sure it's got good connections so that we just that, you know, loop on loop. Um, that's not a good enough connection. So you got to make sure you've got a good connection on any splices. So I would agree with that. Yeah. As Sandy had a question specific to this. Uh, she had asked, what's a vine line? And Sandy, if you wouldn't mind unmuting yourself, I think you've got another question in the queue as well. Yeah, I do. I just haven't heard of that vine line. Please tell me what it is, what it looks like. Okay. So if you go to gallagher.ca, if you go to their website, are you in the U.S. or, or the I'm Canada? I'm in Canada. Okay. 
Uh, yeah, so Gallagher.ca and just type in T61003 or vine-line-wire connector, and there's a picture of it there. Great. And use two of them. Don't just use one. So you, you take your two wires, you join them together with the first vine line, and then you take a second vine line, and you just follow that empty space, wrapping the second one over top of it. It takes two to make the join. Okay, good stuff. <laughs> Uh, while I've got you then, can you have uh, my internet flopped around while you were talking about fence lines meeting at the far corner going left and right? Tell me about uh, oh, cur- more about current, that. Yeah, current balancing. So current balancing. So if you have a quarter section, the, the entire length around a quarter section is two miles. Yes. Basically, what you're going to do is you're going to you're going to pick a corner wherever you are. Like if if your house is in the the southwest corner of the quarter, you're going to send power to the northeast corner and stop. And by that, I mean you literally put a break in the wire. You're when you come to your brace set in the northeast corner, that's where you're going to put your uh, string connectors and wrap your wire off. And you don't jump to the other side to to continue sending the power back to the energizer. You never send the power out in a loop. You always send it away from the energizer to a a point that would be opposite of the energizer. And you stop. That's where the current stops. So then you have two one-mile sections instead of one two-mile perimeter section. Does that explain that, Sandy? Well, I understand that. What are the consequences? So the, it's the ohms of resistance. It, it's the ohms of resistance, like I spoke before, you have 56 ohms of resistance per strand, per 12 and a half gauge strand. If you have three wires joined together, now you take that 56 ohms of resistance and you've divided it by three, you only have 18 ohms of resistance. So you've got a really good conductor. You're pumping, think of it like pumping water. You're pumping water through a inch and a half, two inch hose with no leaks. You got good flow of water. Whereas if you have a three strand perimeter and they're not joined together, they're just three individual wires. It's like pumping water with three half inch garden hoses. You've got so much friction or resistance in that section that you can't effectively get the water or in this case, the current flow to the end. So it's 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 more efficient to send power in two one mile directions than to send it all the way around the perimeter because you might start out with 10,000 volts at the start but if you go all the way around the perimeter and you've got grass growing et cetera et cetera or you've got poor connections by the time you get back to your start point you might be down to like you know 1200 volts so where is this okay. You keep good current. And actually, what you'll find is when you current balance, your, your starting voltage, let's say it's 10,000 volts, if you've got good current balance and good clean fence, I've got one quarter section where my energizer is, and I send power into another remote quarter section in the sand hills. It's not the greatest environment, and I have 22,000 volts at that far end. And until the until the animal touches it, and then it bounces back out to ten thousand volts. But that is 
that's like um, that kind of phenomenon is like having a pressure gauge at the end of your garden hose. Uh, your your water pump might read 40 psi, and you just leave it run. The pressure at the end of your garden hose might read 50 or 60 pounds of pressure until you crack the valve and let the water out, and then it equalizes back to 40 pounds of pressure. And that's the same thing here. Okay, I'm still thinking of something different. Uh, okay, uh, whether it's perimeter fence or just single wire fence, but I end up with a with a loop. I've started at one corner and and the wire is energized going east and it's energized going south and they come around and they meet at the far end. Am I okay to join those at the far end or is it better to keep the left circuit and the right circuit separate to the far end? They're, they started together here. What's the result of them just being a complete circuit all around and energized from both directions? Yeah, good question. I'm glad you clarified that. So it's it's still current balancing. Uh, if you join them at the far end, the current will flow, let's say, in a clockwise direction back to the energizer. Whereas if you send it in two separate directions and it stops, the current just flows either direction to that far point and then it just stops. It just sits there statically. It doesn't make a loop. So then the amount of resistance you have is less. It's, it's one of those phenomenons that's a little bit hard to get it wrapped around in your head, but it is the way it works. Does that explain it? Because if not, I'll keep trying here. <laughs> well, I, I think so. I just, I've got several spots where this is what I've got hooked up and I can, uh, right now it's energized and going around and I can open a gate and, and going across the alley. And, and when the gates open, the energy is coming from, from the east. When I close the gate, and open another one, it's coming from the west or, or making a circuit because they're all connected all the way around the circumference. And am I causing any problems or? Uh, uh... Okay, first thing there is you don't have any undergate, do you? In some gates I have, but others, no. Okay, because you, you need to have undergate because it doesn't matter whether your gates closed or open, you still want that power flowing underneath the fence. So make sure you put undergate cable in there. Uh, but yeah, just if you have a situation where you've got it joined at that far corner and, and it's looping back to where your energizer is, just break it there at that far corner and you'll see your 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 uh, voltage ratings jump like significantly at that far end. And then like at that far corner, if you're feeding another section of fence, that's fine. But just do the same thing at that far section, you know, on that far piece of fence just again current balance that piece as well it, it i wish i could, i wish i could draw this out because it's easier to explain with a, a whiteboard <laughs> but sandy email me and i'll gladly help you through it no i think i'm all right i, I purposely have it connected all the way around then i didn't need the undergate cables because when you open the gate you've got energy from either side of the gate so it was a a, a simple thing in my head to make happen and it's working just uh, is it causing any hardship to the energizer or or anything and i understand what you're saying about the resistance yeah well the, the big reason for it depends on what you're using well it actually doesn't matter what you're using for your gate wire the proper way is with undergate because if you open that wire but the power is still on that wire it's snapping there and the animals aren't going to be too keen on going through that gate. That's one problem. 
And the other thing is it's live while you're handling it, right? I like it so that when I unhook my gate handles, it's dead. I'm not getting tangled <laughs> up or caught in it and getting shocked. I think I answered that question. If I didn't repeat it, and I'll yeah, we're we're good. I'm okay. Thank okay. you. Oh, Steve, if you could also type in my, uh, we've got a toll free number one eight seven seven power fence, PWR fence, and people can feel free to call me if they don't want to email. That's fine too. Yeah, I can actually add to that too, uh, Sandy. Um, I I kind of do the same thing. I'm, I agree with Sean 100. The ideal goal is not to have the fence go as far as you know all the way around the land. If you can dead end at some point, you're better off to go two directions. I agree with that 100. But I also agree with you. You know, trying to get power from both sides is handy. Um, what I've done in that case, um, I use undergate some places and some places I don't. I mean, 72 miles of fence undergate is pretty expensive if you add it up. So sometimes I'll run it through the gate handles. I know you're not supposed to do that, but I do. Um, but what I'll do is I'll have a, a place to hook the uh, gate handle up that allows the current to go through it. And I'll have another spot to hook the gate handle to that dead ends it. So, you know, let's say, let's use Sean's example of a, a quarter section. We've got two miles around the outside. In a perfect world, we'll do a mile on one side and a mile on the other side. But if you do a mile and a quarter on one side and three quarters of a mile on one side, you're you're close, right? You're pretty good. And you just dead end the handle, right? So that one doesn't go. I was always told years ago, and Sean, you can you can add to this if you want. Um, don't have your power run back into your fencer, right? That's why the dead end at the other side, because you don't want to have power run all the way around back into through the same wires going back. Yeah. So I always have an option to be able to dead end at any spot. Right. Maybe it's not, a, you know, the perfect one mile in, in the middle, but as long as you have enough joules in your fence or the kilovolts are high enough and it's working, it works. Right. But yeah, having that, uh, if you're not going to do the undergrounds, which some people do, some people don't have two spots to hook up your gate handle to one dead, one live. Yeah, that's a good point, Steve. Just always have just when you're thinking of your circuits. When you're designing your circuits, the power should never come back to the energizer when you're designing the circuit. The power should always be going away from the energizer, never returning. You're always sending it out. The way it returns is through the soil, back to the ground rods and into the fence. That's the way it returns. Good answer, folks. That is uh, that is very detailed. And speaking of detailed, uh, Corey, you've been very patient. You've been on deck for about 15 minutes now. Uh, You've got a question on on voltage, I guess. Corey, are you uh, ready to go? Uh, yes, I am. Thanks a lot, Jay. Actually, uh, Sean, in yes. your effort to work through uh, Sandy's question, you answered my question. <laughs> I asked, what was the phenomenon that happens when you get out to the far end and you have uh, higher kilovoltage than what your fencer's putting out, right? So that you you answered that in 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 your endeavor to to work through Sandy's problem. So so no, I appreciate that. And and what the part I wasn't clear on that you clarified was the fact that it'll balance soon as it's grounded out. So once an animal touches it or 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 whatnot, whatever grounds it out, that it'll 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 balance back down to what the energizer setting. So, but I I, yeah. I always found that a little interesting when. You, you put your uh, your tester on and all of a sudden it's reading higher, right? So I wasn't sure if the wires were feeding off of each other because of the closeness or what was happening. So yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just because it's sending out one pulse per second. And if there's nothing touching it, if there's no vegetation, it's actually an indication that you've got a good clean fence. 
So give yourself a gold star. Like, uh, <laughs> it, it, yeah, that's, that's really what it means. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. Steve, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, no, I'm good. He, he already answered that question. So we're going to be Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. got a, I've got another thing that I forgot to mention. You know, you, you hear of animals, they can, they can sense that the, the fence is on and that is true. And just like Corey brought up that static pressure, what it is, is it's field of current. So there's this unseen field of current cycling around those wires and the animals, as they get closer to the fence, they start to sense that field of current because they're, they're more sensitive than we are. Uh, so a way of for us to experience this phenomenon is if you grab your, your tester, your fault finder, your remote, and you start walking towards the fence. If if you've got a really well built fence, you'll be about three feet away, and all of a sudden your your tester will light up, say half voltage or a third voltage. It'll go like twenty one hundred volts or something like that. And then as you're about six inches away, you're maybe actually reading half of that voltage. You might be reading four thousand volts, and then when you touch it, so that's field of current. Another thing for you people out there that have power lines, high voltage power lines where you've got like I this half cent section of fence that we fenced last fall, we had no choice but to run exactly parallel underneath a 25,000 volt hydro line that's feeding a bunch of oil wells. So that's a very dangerous situation. So what you do there is you, you build your fence as you would a normal fence. All three wires are in insulators, but the only difference is you take that top strand and every quarter mile you're going to put a ground rod in and then attach, attach that top strand to the ground wire and it takes the field of current that's coming from that 25,000 volt hydro line because that's high voltage high amperage the voltage we're dealing with on an electric fence is high voltage but it's milliamps so it's not going to kill you but that high voltage line that field of current is building up static current on that top strand of your fence. And if you walk up, it could hurt you, kill you, potentially, worst case scenario. We've got some 240,000 volt lines out here. So definitely take that top strand and ground it out. And then just leave those other two strands as your, your hot strands. And that top strand is just acting as a physical barrier. That's great advice, Sean. Um, I've had that issue before too, where you could you could tell in the fence that the hydro lines were affecting it. So I got a question for you about that too. If that you know six feet away, six inches away, does that account too? If you uh, you know you have to go take a pee if you're six feet away from the fence or six. Yeah. With the new energizers today, if your family is looking for permanent birth control, just pee on an electric fence. <laughs> Along those lines, okay. This is another, going back to never electrifying barbed wire, here's another example of why. So we've got a customer that they got about, well, actually, they've got the largest energy. I sold them the largest energizer that Gallagher makes, the 10,000i. It's a 100 output jewel energizer. So those paddles they put on your chest when they revive you, you know, at the hockey rink or whatever, that's 500 joules. So this is one-fifth of that, okay? So just keep that in mind. So they did everything right. And in their case, I told them run two strands of aluminum wire. So that's like running six strands all in one current, right? For whatever reason, their remote wasn't working properly. And 
his wife, God bless her soul, who was pregnant with her child, and she had her little four-year-old son with her, what they would do is they would crawl underneath the fence to shut the fence off for the next section. And she crawled underneath and she got hit right back in the back of her head. And she figured she was out for about three minutes. And she kind of come to and her her little five-year-old's going, mommy, mommy, what happened to you? So, you know, it's it's powerful stuff. If it's built properly, it'll if it'll bring a 2,000-pound bull to his knees, what stand, you know, what do we stand for chance, right? So, yeah, good questions, guys. Keep them coming. Yeah, Sean, that's one of the reasons why I don't use the big fencers, right? Like, yeah. I don't like getting hit by them. My biggest fencer is a six jewel. Most of mine are three jewels. Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter what I'm running through, it's not, you know, it, it's enough to stop the animals. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I went away from using the big fencer, right? I started, you know, running the whole farm. and But the biggest problem I had was maintenance. Yeah. You know, when, when there was a problem, I had, you know, uh, 17 miles of fence to check, right? Mm-hmm. Like that takes a long time. Whereas I use a smaller fencer and I'm only powering the part of the fence I need. Mm-hmm. A three jewel fencer is great. I only need one ground rod maybe for that three jewel fencer. I still get seven kilovolts. It's enough to control the animals. Mm-hmm. But you know what? When I get hit by that, you know, I can handle it. Them big fencers, I don't like them at all. <laughs> The new energizers, the, the new Gallagher ones, you can break them out into six different zones. So you, in your case, if you wanted to run the whole farm with there, you would just, through current balance, and there's a bit of an art and science to it, but you can break your entire farm into six different zones. So then if there is a problem, it, okay, it's in zone two or zone four or whatever. There are a slug of questions actually yet, so it, I'm hoping we can... Uh... We can keep you for a few more minutes after we uh, we end the podcast in a few. Uh, yeah, next absolutely. On, great. Thank you. Next on depth deck was Matt, who had some questions on current balancing. Uh, Matt, are you, are you there? I just made a comment on the current balancing. That's right. Go ahead. Is, I think Sean's covered it fairly well, but he worked. he helped me teach me the concept and... I think of it as branches. I send the send the power out in branches, and before we used to send it in a really big circle around uh-huh. the whole property. By the time it got to the far end, it was kind of dead, like down to about three. And when we, I dug in a couple of the undergate aluminum cables and send it out in branches instead, and I had it up to eight point nine, just with an old eighteen joule Gallagher freaking 20 year old fencer and she'll light your socks up boy <laughs> that that's because you're wearing flip-flops matt <laughs> yeah yeah well that's uh that's why cabin may so that the footwear is superior <laughs> <laughs> well that current balancing is great carry on fellas thank Actually, you matt, matt that's a great I never thought of it that way, but that's an awesome analogy is just think of it as a tree branches. That's a great way of, you got your main trunk and then all your feet, you got your, your main feeder lines and then it branches out. A great analogy. Excellent. Uh, Jay, let's do one more question and then we'll close out the night, but then we're going to stay on for after networking, networking. 
uh, all of you in the podcast world, you're going to miss out on after networking networking because it's usually the best part of this. So, uh, but yeah, let's do one more question, Jay, and then we'll shut her down. Sure thing. Uh, Pat Toner, are you uh, available for your question? Uh, you're, uh, you're the one that's on deck here. You betcha. It's Paul and Casey. Anyway, our question is, is uh, what kind of temporary fence do you use? And then uh, what kind of cross fence do you use? And then if you could just talk about controlling kites with electric fence a little bit, that'd be great. Okay. So, of course, I use Gallagher. That's a no-brainer. But as far as temp, you're talking the, the, what kind of setups do I use for temp fencing? Well, like what kind of tape or wire do you use? Or, you know, you're not using... Just talk about your your wire and your post spacings or something. You know what I mean? Okay, like, yeah, yeah, gotcha. For your, your bill grazing or something, you know. Right. So look for a turbo braid or a, a high quality braid, whether it's Gallagher or StayFX or whatever. Find out what the ohms of resistance per mile is. It should be around that 40, 40 ohms, 46 ohms of resistance. That's a high quality braid. There is like the tape, the half inch tape that you can buy. That's another, that's 13,000 ohms of resistance. Just terrible. So that electric fencing 101 from Gallagher, or you can go on to, to Datamars or Staffix, and they actually have a page showing, you know, at the end of a kilometer or at the end of a mile, if you start out with 7,000 volts, what you can expect at the end with their tapes. So just pick a, a high quality braid with mixed metals. This is the one time where you can have mixed metals. So you'll have copper, aluminum, stainless steel woven into that braid. That's what you want. I like geared reels. I got a friend of mine. He doesn't like them because he uses a cordless drill on them. So he just goes with a, a direct one-to-one reel because he can. he's burning out gears all the time on the, on the gear drills. So it depends on what you're using it for. If, if you're rolling it by hand, go for the three-to-one geared reel. Um, definitely get one with a guide so you can't fall off the sides because that is, I mean, I've left a few reels in the bush and then gone back and got them later. <laughs> so, yeah, Steve's right. Throw them, chuck them. Step in posts. You know what? This is, you need them. You want good quality ones. It, it's a personal preference thing, really. I like, like, so the Gallagher ring top, that's an all plastic top, but I absolutely hate the foot on them. I wish they would combine the, the ring top with the standard pigtail foot. And I don't have enough influence on Gallagher to make that change. But anyways, that's, <laughs> I, I don't like using rebar or anything like that with the screw on rod insulators, unless it's a, a winter situation where, you know, you're grazing. Steve can probably answer that a little bit better, but um, yeah, just, Good quality braid. Spend the money on 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 good quality geared reels. Um, look after them. Like uh, just when you're rolling it up, just make sure that you've got a good tight roll coming in. Uh, you don't want it just kind of a hairnet. What was your other question? That was the first one. What was the other ten fences? Um, like like when you come off your three strand fence, yes. and then you have a cross cross a quarter section. Let's say, yeah. What are you going to use there? If, it, if it's a quarter section that I think I'm going to use in a winter grazing situation, then I would divide it with a two-strand electric. We're in Manitoba. It's fairly flat, fairly open for the most part. 
So I'm just going to divide it once up the middle on the long side so that when I run my geared reels out, I'm only going 400 meters or, or a quarter mile, right? So that's why the 66 foot post spacing is critical because when you go one post spacing 66 feet by 1,320 feet, that's two acres. So when you're rotationally grazing, you've got a way of gauging how many acres you're doing. Now, it doesn't always work that way because you got bush, et cetera, et cetera. But if it's a winter grazing situation, I would run two strands up the middle because I can convert the too hot to now hot ground just by putting a ground rod out there right on that section of fence. And then come wintertime, I just run a, 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 a undergate cable from that ground rod up to one of the wires. And now I've got a hot ground system. I don't have to run a ground network all the way back to the energizer. Does that make sense? My two cents on that, Colin, for wire, the most important thing I look at in wire is visibility. Because not only do I not see it and drive through it, but the cattle might not be able to see it. It depends on light, the angle of the sun. There's all sorts of things that I've found over the years that, oh, wow, that was the wrong wire to use because it's the wrong, you know, like I said, that that uh, aircraft cable. Boy, sometimes you just can't see it. And if I can't see it, then the cattle can't see it. As for posts, um, yeah, as Sean said earlier, rebar is not a tool in our toolbox ever. <laughs> I do not like rebar posts. I started out using rebar posts. That was the cheapest thing I could use. Uh, 23 years ago, I set up my first quarter of land and I'm still cussing at that quarter every time I go and do some maintenance on it because I still got rebar posts out there and I I don't like it. Um, The winter setup, Sean just described two wires. Being able to have that positive wire and that negative wire you bet. I've done that quite a few times. And what I've found lately is actually a bipolar fencer. I'm actually really happy with those because the same two wires. So instead of having a hot wire and a grounded wire, now we can have a half charge positive wire and a half charge negative wire, which means either wire they touch, they get half a shock. If they touch both of them, they get a full shock. And that's been pretty successful for me the last couple of years. So I'm, uh, I'm pretty happy with that. And for the winter setup, Sean, I think you said, uh, I, I'm not sorry, I can't remember the distance between it, but when I do a winter setup, I do on a quarter section, I'll break it into four rectangles. So there'll be three cross fences down it. So that is 660 feet apart. Right. Nice short fence to move about 10 step in posts, like really easy to carry if you're doing it, you know, on foot. So yeah, I'll do four rectangles uh, to make up my winter setup. So yeah, there was one more question about coyotes, I think he had. So coyotes, you're, now you're at a you're you're on a multi-strand fence. You're going to be seven to nine strands is where you're at with that. Um, is this is it? Are we just talking small acres here, Colin? No, like this is on oh. a section. On a section. Okay, so yeah. if you go with, it's not, it's not really feasible. It's like seven nine wires wouldn't be feasible, but yeah, correct. No, it's feasible. Absolutely. Compared to compared to uh, high tensile field fence, because the coyotes are still going to dig underneath them, right? The, the, you know the page wire. We've done lots of sheep fence that way, and I, I still make them all hot. And the reason I do that, all wires, all all nine wires are hot. And the reason I do that is because with a hot ground system, if you get any bit of sag in any one of those wires, now you got a dead short. I prefer the the all hot. A big thing there is don't drag your deads out to the pasture and leave them 
don't don't entice the coyotes in. Um, if you've got coyotes on the other side of the fence and they're not actually bothering your sheep, don't go shooting them. Don't trap them because they're territorial. So if you trap or kill off the sheep that are just looking at your lamb chops but not actually bothering them, that's okay. Just leave them there because if you trap the ones that are friendlies, the territory, that void is going to be filled with maybe a more aggressive coyote or a wolf, right? So, but as far as the 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 seven to nine strands, I can I can walk you through that if you want. Just email me and uh, or call me and we can go through that. And that number, Steve, by the way, that toll free number, it was one eight seven seven P W R fence. Sorry, I I noticed that I forgot to say it. So. Sorry, yeah, I wasn't. I was. I made me screwed that up. So no, we're gonna, I, I said power fences. Wasn't your fault. <laughs> I thought there was too many digits in there. But anyway, if if you want to type that in now, uh, we're going to close it out. Thank you very much for everybody attending. Uh, thank you, Sean, so much for your knowledge. Uh, I learned a lot tonight too. I'm uh, very thankful that you're here. Thanks to the Gateway Research Organization for uh, hosting this. Yeah, thanks everybody for showing up. Now we'll stick to after networking, networking. Jay, do you got any closing comments for Gateway Research Organization? No, on behalf of uh, Gateway Research, of course, we thank uh, yourself and Greener Pastures Ranching and and uh, Sean Nickelback Anderson for uh, for <laughs> the awesome work that he's uh, he's done here. This is uh, awesome information, and I can only imagine uh, how many more questions that we'll have when we open it up to after networking networking 